Would you open your Bibles to two passages? First, Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 6. The second will be in James chapter 5, verse 12, but you don't need to turn to both, but do turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts. According to the grace given us, if a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. And now from James chapter 5, verse 12. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this, his most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Holy Spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be received as you intend upon my tongue that I will be cleansed, that I might be your transparent vessel to say everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. I pray that I will be very, very clear I will deliver this word in the spirit of Jesus. May this be life-changing. May it result in personal revival. May it be a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Perhaps you've heard the story of someone coming up to Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher of the 19th century, just before the Sunday evening service. And he knocked on the door and said, Mr. Spurgeon, the Lord told me that I was to preach for you tonight. Mr. Spurgeon said, well, this is very interesting. I was just talking to him, and he didn't say a word to me about it. Do you have the feeling that God tells you things 
Do you believe God speaks directly to you? To what extent, if so, are you to share it with another person? I remember when I was at Westminster Chapel, you would not believe the words that I would be given. And they would always begin with, the Lord told me. Many people claim to speak for God these days, but how many of them really do speak for God? There are a lot of people who claim to have a prophetic gift and give out words introduced by the Lord told me. The question is, how many of these words are really from the Lord? Now, what is the purpose of this word? I want us to talk tonight, to see tonight, the importance of revering the name of the Lord. And it's a time when we get our eyes off ourselves and focus objectively upon God. And I want you to consider His name. Now, the Hebrew word Elohim refers to God, His majesty, His power. But there's the word Yahweh, which refers to the Lord as Redeemer, personal God. And I'm not here to go into all the names of God, except to point out that in ancient Israel history, there was a reverence for the name of God. And this came down to the third commandment. When God said through Moses, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Some modern translations, you do not misuse his name. I think it is possibly the least understood of the Ten Commandments. Many think it simply means uh, don't use bad language, swearing in that way. It could include that, but that's a very small part of the understanding of that command. And so I want to raise the question, if you really do receive a word from the Lord, is this for you or are you supposed to pass it on? If so, when, how? Would you like to have a closer relationship with God? I'm, I'm, I'm sure that if I were to ask how many here would like to be closer to God, hands would go up. Of course, this is what this service is all about. And the series on personal revival. Here is a message that's been on my heart for years, if you want to know. I've thought a lot about this, never preached this before, never preached on this subject quite like this before. I prepared this word just for tonight. And I'd like to think that the result partly would be, would draw you closer to God, but in a way perhaps you had not expected would you be willing to hear from God more than you do on the condition you would keep quiet about it? I used to ask the question at Westminster Chapel, I ask you, how many of you could have tea with Her Majesty the Queen and never tell anybody? 
Think you could do that, Scott? You think you could? You see, our problem is we can't resist name-dropping. It's very interesting that, uh, oh, I think I will share this. Billy Graham phoned me this afternoon. He said, R.T., I've just heard from Her Majesty the Queen. Really, yes. And she's very hurt that you haven't been in touch with her. She heard that you've been in London for several months and have not phoned Buckingham Palace to let her know that you're here. And then he went on to say, when I got off the phone, Prince Charles rang and said, Billy, you know R.T. Kendall? He hasn't been in touch with me since he's been in England. Have I hurt his feelings in any way? I said, well, Billy, I will relate this. When I speak at West uh, Kensington Temple this evening, just to see how gullible these people are. <laughs> I had you going there for a minute. <laughs> name dropping. But the worst kind of name dropping is when you drop God's name. Why would you do it? Is it to make him look good? Or is it to make you look good? So that they will say, oh, you hear from the Lord. As if you're so spiritual. And the reason I bring this message is not to criticize anybody. I want you to know I'm speaking to myself. I need this as much as anybody in this place. So I haven't come to make you feel uncomfortable. And yet I think I will be moving all of us a little bit out of our comfort zone because we're very much at home saying, the Lord told me this. The interesting thing about Joseph, who had those dreams, they really were from the Lord. His mistake was telling the dreams. This is what angered his brothers. This is what got him into trouble. That is the reason they sold him to the Ishmaelites. But he couldn't keep quiet about it. Psalm 25, verse 14, King James Version, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. The secret. Can you keep a secret? Would you be willing to have a closer relationship with God if you couldn't tell it to one other person? But only he knew how real he is being to you. Or would you have this need to tell somebody else, well, I heard from God today. Oh, I felt his presence. If so... Must you tell it? Oh, but I think it would bring honor and glory to God. You see, this is the thing. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. 
We are so sure at first that we're bringing honor to God. Often we're not able to trace the real motive. Why we say the things we do. Well, should it bother us that so many words do not come to pass that were prefaced by the Lord told me? What do you suppose God in heaven thinks when he hears everybody dropping his name? The Lord told me, I have a word from the Lord for you. And God in heaven says, did I say that? But you're claiming that God told you that. By the way, for someone here that's still puzzled, uh, Billy Graham didn't phone me today. <laughs> and as for the queen, she doesn't ask about me. I've never met her. Everybody in America thinks I have. They all think that I was minister of Westminster Abbey and that I knew the queen. Sorry. Why is this word important? Well, when a word does not come to pass, which was introduced by the Lord told me, something has gone wrong. It dishonors the name of the Lord. It discredits the gift of prophecy, which is clearly in Scripture, and it is bearing false witness. Well, now, the question I ask, should people like this apologize? Surely, if the Lord says something is going to happen, it's going to happen. It, it's got to be exactly right. And then it doesn't happen. But people keep on saying, the Lord told me, the Lord told me. I was in a state in New England where a man who's well known for his prophetic gift, and he's a sweet man, and he had a word for me. R.T. the Lord says, and it was a word that was going to happen the very next day. And I thought, whew, this is wonderful, Louise. Let me tell you what he just told me. Didn't happen at all. He didn't come back and ask, did it? I didn't want to hurt his feelings. But one of the purposes of this message is to get us to think clearly, to th get us to thinking clearly about this issue and to ask, how much do I really hear from the Lord? To what extent am I supposed to keep quiet about it? This might change your whole perspective. And you might have to trade the privilege or the fun of talking about how well you know God in exchange for telling nobody, but just enjoying Him. It's like I remember once we were given box seats, uh, uh, tickets to Royal Albert Hall. And uh, Louise and I were going to do this on a special occasion and the first thing I said, who shall we bring with us? Who shall we take? And she replied, well, I was hoping it would just be you and me. She said, well, I do. I said, of course. And I was embarrassed that I always thought, well, we've got to take somebody else. And there are times when you want to enjoy somebody's company. And would you be willing 
to have an immediate and direct revelation from God, His very presence, and you never tell it to a soul. If He meant that much to you, He might visit you more often. That verse that says, The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him, most translations put it, The Lord confides in those. Imagine this, Psalm 25, verse 14, that the Lord would confide in you. Think about that. Can there be a greater privilege to think that the Lord would confide in me? Why would he want to confide in me? Well, it would be because I'm going to keep quiet about it. That possibility is so thrilling and so enticing that I think I mean this, that I would have any, do anything in the world to have that kind of relationship. That God was very, very real to me, but I told nobody. Take Her Majesty the Queen. Who can she confide in? Whoever she would talk to, they're going to tell it. They cannot resist telling it. And therefore, somebody like the queen could be, I don't know this for a fact because I have no clue, but it's very possible that somebody like that is the loneliest person in the world because they can't tell anybody things. All right. Why is this word important? Well, it's this. Does not God sometimes truly speak to us? Are we, therefore, supposed to attribute it to Him? Or, put it another way, is there a right time for saying, the Lord told me, when one has a word that they feel is from God? Wouldn't it be an encouragement when a prophetic person who's well-respected, who has a solid reputation, and that person says, the Lord told me to tell you this, you'd think, hmm, if you say it, I'm interested. But then a person who has that kind of gift must be all the more careful because everybody will be scrutinizing every word what I want to get over tonight is that it is a no-joke thing to claim you have a word from the Lord for somebody when you might be wrong. And you just imagine it. Or you're just hoping it. The name of the Lord is not to be played with like that. It is serious, serious stuff. Well, some years ago, a couple years ago actually, I was invited to address about 70 people in America at a prophetic conference in Dallas, Texas. 70 or 80 prophetic people there, some of the best known people in America for their prophetic gift. 
And I was asked to address them. And a little bit of what I said to them, I'm saying here. Because saying the Lord told me is the hardest habit for prophetic people to break. And I urge those men to be very careful about saying the Lord told me, and I challenge them, never use his name again. I was so sure that they would clobber me afterwards and come and say, you can't talk to us like that. You do not know what you are talking about. Do you know what? Not one person there contradicted me. And they all, one at a time, said, R.T., you're right. You see, there's another way to put it. Suppose you really do have something that you feel you've got to share. It's burning on you. Maybe it is the Lord. It could be. But you don't have to name drop. You can say, I've got something I want to share with you and share it. That's it. I think maybe you ought to consider this. Say it. You can say, a particular verse is on my heart for you. Give it. And they go home and they look it up and they think, Whoo, how did they know to give me that? And they come back and say, how did you know to give me a verse like that? Just on my heart. You don't need to mention him. Because there is a danger of misusing his name only to make yourself look good, not him. And that's the point. Well, confession. I don't claim to have a prophetic gift. And I've made this mistake a thousand times, saying the Lord gave me this sermon. And over the years, I've tried to examine my words. And I have a theory. The degree to which we can keep his name out of our conversation when it comes to things like this will be the degree to which he will honor you more than ever and you will sense his presence more than ever and he will show you things more than ever because he's confiding in you. But you don't ever want to break the confidence and there aren't many he can talk to like that, because our egos get in, our pride. We don't think it's our pride. We're thinking, oh, I'm giving honor to him. Stop it. That's not why you do it. The heart, I repeat, is deceitful. We don't know our own motives. And I believe that this word, if taken seriously, could change lives of people in this room. Now, I would give this definition of prophecy, it's the, not the only one, but if it's true prophecy, it would be a word directly from God, unfiltered by human embellishment. 
whether it refers to the past, the present, or the future. Now let me introduce another aspect. If I had a big blackboard here, it would be nice to put this on the board. I thought about doing this uh, and have you see, I, I just don't tend to use uh, that sort of thing, but it might have been good this time. But I want you to imagine a pyramid and six levels in this pyramid because I want to talk about levels of prophecy. You see, some are over, overly simple, and they say, any word from God is the same. Not really. It may sound right to say, well, if it's the word of God, it's the word of God. But there are levels. There are degrees to which that word should be tested. For example, bottom of the pyramid. I would say it refers to general exhortation or encouragement to a congregation. Like in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, where Paul, having to address Corinth, and all they wanted to do is speak in tongues, and they thought this was proof of their spirituality, Paul said, you should rather want to prophesy. Now, when he said that, he wasn't saying, I think you could become Elijah by this time tomorrow afternoon. He's not saying that. And some say, well, if it's prophecy, if it's prophecy, and therefore it's either Elijah, Jeremiah, what? No, not so. There are levels. Bottom level. All of us are encouraged to prophesy. Prophesy to one another and encourage one another. That is a general exhortation. Fifth level coming up. I would say this refers to specific warnings. Uh, Agabus warned that there would be an earthquake. You see it in Acts chapter 11. And it came to pass. And the same Agabus in Acts chapter 21 warned the Apostle Paul that he should not go to Jerusalem. In the same chapter, there were disciples that came and urged the Apostle Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. And Luke is on their side because he says, in the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go. Well, I can tell you this, he didn't go. He who said you shouldn't despise prophesying didn't take them seriously and says, I'm going anyway. It's an open debate whether Paul made a mistake, whether they got it right, he got it wrong. I'm not going to go into that now. The point is, bottom level, exhortation, a little bit higher when you warn someone. Fourth level. If under persecution, you should be called to stand before a king, or you are called in on the carpet uh, because you've been misunderstood and you've got to speak. Jesus said, when this happens and you're called to stand up, take no thought what you will say, but it will be 
the Holy Spirit speaking through you. Well, that's a higher level than the first two I mentioned. And this is a pretty good indication that God can speak to you. I've debated whether I should tell this. I wouldn't want you to take me too seriously, but I had a tiny bit of that, just a tiny bit. Many years ago, I was pastor of a little church in Ohio. It turned out to be a disaster. But uh, I was called in on the carpet with several ministers in the area. They were part of a little denomination. And the charge was that I preached that Jesus is God. And I pleaded guilty to the charge. But the church was upset that this could happen to their pastor. And different ministers came in. And I was dreading the night. And that morning, that morning, my Bible reading included the verse in Matthew 10, verses 19, 20. Take no thought what you shall say. And I took that as a promise. And so I didn't prepare. I just went before the council. And I said very little. But what I said caused many people to reassess everything that they'd said about me. And different ones said, we were amazed at you, what you said. I, I said, I hardly spoke. But it was an indication of how that particular prophecy could be fulfilled. I don't remember now what I said. But there was no doubt that it was just a tiny bit of that. Level three, coming up closer to the top of the pyramid. I would call it prophetic preaching. Or as it's put in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, speak, if you speak, speak the very oracles of God, or most translations today, the very words of God. Now, I wish I could make that claim that everything I say when I go into the pulpit very words of God. I wish I could make that claim right now, but I'd be a fool to make that claim. My preaching is mo mostly expository. I usually go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and taking no thought of who might be there or what the situation may be in the world, I simply expose the meaning of Scripture. The most encouraging thing a pastor can hear is when someone comes to him afterwards and say, how did you know I was going to be in the service today? You were speaking just to me. Well, that is called prophetic preaching. But when that happens, I never know it's happening. I usually have no idea. So I've never consciously been a prophet or done prophetic preaching. My task is to be so true to Scripture that what I say reflects the true meaning. To that extent, it can be called preaching the Word of God. My greatest fear is that I might propagate any error. I don't want to say anything that is untrue, that is not theologically sound. My greatest fear is that I might miss it. And so I want so to speak, so to understand the word, because I believe 
the Word is infallible. What I say is not infallible, but if I can be true to the Word, then I am fulfilling as much as I possibly can. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. All right. Levels of prophecy coming up next to the top, level 2. Non-canonical biblical prophets. There were those prophets in the Old Testament that didn't get their name at the, at, as a book like Jeremiah, Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel. These would be canonical prophets. But there was Nathan, Gad, who spoke to David. Never forget Elijah and Elisha. Non-canonical prophets. Well, someone is going to ask, can there be a prophet today like Elijah? The answer is, maybe. I think he would be very, very, very rare. He was rare in the Old Testament. There was only one Elijah. And then Elisha wanted a double portion of his spirit and got it. But this would probably refer not to the quality of the miracles. It happens that if you count the number of miracles under Elijah and the number of miracles under Elisha, it's double. So he did have a double portion. It just meant twice as many. Can there be somebody like that today? Could be. Couldn't rule it out. It would be very rare for some like that to come along. But now I come to the very top. What is that? It's Holy Scripture. Old Testament. New Testament. Including the canonical prophets. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Zechariah, Amos. But this is part of the canon of Scripture. It is God's final revelation. And no one ever will have authority to speak like this at the very top. Well, there you have it. Six levels of prophecy. We need to keep that in mind so that we want as much as we can never to abuse the name of the Lord, but let no one think that when you speak, you are saying a word that is as powerful as Scripture. I know people, I know them. They actually believe that when they prophesy, it's equal to Scripture. Don't ever think that. This is final. You will not add to it. But beneath that, various levels. Let me talk to you a moment about the limits of prophecy. Now, the reason I read from Romans chapter 12, verse 3 here Paul talks about the measure of faith. Notice how he put it. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith. That word measure means limit. You do not have a perfect faith. You've got a measure of faith. You just have a measure of the Holy Spirit. Only Jesus had the Holy Spirit without limit. Therefore, he had a perfect faith. You and I have the Spirit 
in measure. There's a limit. Therefore, our gift must be exercised realizing the limit of our faith. And it can be very humbling to have to admit that you don't have a measure of faith like somebody else. And you might be jealous. And sometimes jealousy will cause you to say, oh, I can prophesy like that too. The truth is, you have a very little bit. He's got a lot. You better be careful that you have the humility to say, well, I just don't have that gift. It can be very humbling to come to terms with the limit of your anointing. Not everybody can be the greatest preacher that ever lived. Not everybody can be the greatest theologian that ever lived. We all have a limit to our faith. And that's what Paul is saying. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Sober judgment. Just admit, you're not the greatest Christian that ever lived. You're not the most important person in the body of Christ. Uh, You're not a St. Augustine, an Anselm, a Thomas Aquinas, a Luther, Calvin, Jonathan Edwards. You're just you. I'm just me. And I remember when I first came to London, and I realized that here I've been asked to, to be the pastor of Westminster Chapel. G. Campbell Morgan, my father's idol, he put Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones there, greatest preacher in the 20th century and possibly ever. And then he puts me there from the hills of Kentucky. Can you believe it? And I had to admit I'm not in their league. Why, Lord, would you put me there? And it was humbling. It was sobering. We all have to accept that we can't be like somebody, greater intelligence, greater gift. This is what Paul is saying. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. But remember, you've got a measure of faith. And then he starts to give different gifts. And the first one, and I stopped the reading with this, the gift of prophecy. Now, he said, if your, prof- if your gift is prophecy, you've got to use it in proportion, in accordance, within the limit of your faith. And then we know Paul also said in 1 Th- uh, Corinthians 13 verses 8 and 9, he says, where there are prophecies, they will cease. We know in part and we prophesy in part. This means that nobody knows everything and no prophet has unlimited knowledge. You see, when you're around a person who has a prophetic gift and he says something to you and he's got it spot on, then you think he knows everything about you. No, he doesn't know everything. He just knew that little bit. But sometimes a prophet will make you think they know more, and then they grieve the Holy Spirit, and they risk bringing dishonor upon their gifting. Prophecies come in seasons. You cannot make them come along. 1 Samuel 3, verse 1, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Amos chapter 8, verse 11, there would be a famine. 
of the hearing of the word of the Lord. Wouldn't it be something if after we got to heaven, we found out that in our day, there was a famine of hearing the word of the Lord when it comes to prophecy, and there were so many people speaking for God and not a single one of them did. It's possible. I'm not saying that. But they're everywhere. All claiming to speak for God and disagreeing with each other. Somebody's got to be wrong. And they prophesy things and you're counting on that to happen. They might have got it wrong. They make mistakes. I know exactly what I'm talking about. And I'm talking about those who are best known, most famous, most reliable, and they get it wrong. You need to realize that. And they would do us all a service if they would not bring the name of the Lord in it. Well now, we all have a limit to our anointing. And one of the sadder turns, this is my opinion, in recent years, if a person has a prophetic gift... He's often on display publicly. And he will take time to give out words of knowledge. And this is why people come. This is why, largely, they get invited to preach. They can't preach their way out of a paper bag, but they'll invite them because they want that word. And the place will be jammed, thinking... Maybe tonight he will speak to me. And they live for that. And that makes the prophet a superstar. And they all come just for that. I think that is an abuse of the gift. And I think this is why so many of them don't turn out to be right because they wanted to be up front giving this word out to everybody and people are in awe because a lot of them are true. And the other thing is, when a prophetic person is invited to speak and they're not calling him for his biblical exposition, they're calling for his prophetic gift, he knows he's got to produce the goods. That's why he's there. They played, paid his plane fare. So he's got to come up with something. They're under pressure to do it. Far better if they stayed home and let them find the people that need their words. But you see, these prophetic people have egos. They want to be in the limelight. They want to be seen. And it's interesting to me that nearly all, I don't know, I won't, I, I won't say all, but nearly all of the better known prophetic people have a very sad ending. This should not surprise us. We're talking about the name of the Lord. He cares about His name. And you don't have to be a prophetic person of world fame to listen to this sermon. We all need it. 
Because God wants a relationship with all of us. But if we could be humble and be willing not to be seen as somebody super spiritual. Well, let me give some guidelines before I close the protocol or guidelines of prophecy. The first is one should not go beyond what is given. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 6 says, do not go beyond what is written. So if a prophetic person is given something, he could give it and stop. Not embellish it. Not give his own spin on it. Don't embellish it. If, if you have a word, say it. Stop. One day, Louise and I coming to church, Louise was so discouraged so discouraged because of some things that had happened that affected our family. And she didn't even want to come to church that morning. But she went. And as she came into the service, a lovely Nigerian lady came running up to Louise. And she said, Louise, I've got one word. I don't know what it means. I've, I've just got one word. And she gave the word, and Louise burst into tears. It was worth coming to church for. Just one word. She didn't say the Lord gave it. She said, I've got one word. Spot on. And that was a Nigerian lady who you would never have heard of. She didn't say the Lord gave it. She said, I just have a word. And gave the word. Third command. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave his exposition of the sixth command in Matthew 5.21, murder. He gave his exposition of the seventh command, do not commit adultery, Matthew 25, verse 27. With murder, he said, it comes to total forgiveness. Hating is murder, said Jesus, in your heart. And so you must forgive from your heart. It's a violation of the sixth command. When it came to adultery, he said it's not because you just sleep with a woman. You lust after her or cause her to lust. You committed adultery in your heart. No one had ever heard anything like this before. What you wouldn't have known unless you study it very deeply, in Matthew 5.33 when he talked about not forswearing oaths, it was an exposition of the third command. Do not Take the name of the Lord in vain. So that James, when he addressed various people scattered abroad in verse 12 of chapter 5, quotes from the Sermon on the Mount. When he says, do not swear, nor by heaven or earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. What James was doing was addressing poor Christians who worked for wealthy Christians. The context of James 5 talks about wealthy Christians that withheld their wages and the poor Christians who lived from day to day that had to be paid every day or they couldn't make it to the next day. And these wealthy Christians were withholding their wages and James warns them, but then he gives a word to the poor Christian. And you know what he says to them? Do not swear. What that means, I don't have time to 
dig it out, but I can tell you exactly what it means. Don't say the Lord is on your side and against them. Don't use his name. Don't you go around saying, well, the Lord's with us, not with them. This is what has caused so much division and rivalry in church history. Everybody's saying, saying, God's with us, but not with them. We all claim we're the remnant. God's with us, not, not with them. And that is misusing the name of the Lord. And James said, even though you have been abused, you've been hurt, you've been kicked, you've been stomped upon, mistreated, don't you swear and say, God's with us, or you will be condemned. He won't even let them off the hook even though they're poor. We are not allowed to make the claim that God's with us and not with you. So when Paul says, if you prophesy, you prophesy according to the proportion of your faith, there's another thing that you may not know. The word proportion is from the Greek word analogia. This is what John Calvin referred to as the analogy of faith. So it means not only prophesying within the proportion of your faith, but analogy of faith means that you are sound in your interpretation of Scripture. So that a prophet is required to be theologically sound. One of the saddest things I've discovered about prophetic people in my travels and relationships that very few of them have any theological knowledge at all. It's very sad. And here's the warning. You prophesy according to the analogy of faith that's comparing Scripture with Scripture so that a prophet needs to be theologically sound. Now, the bottom line, any prophecy should make God look good, reflecting His character, His nature, His omniscience, that He's all-knowing, omnipotence, He's all-powerful, that He's holy, He's righteous. Any prophecy should make God look good. But when these prophetic people stand up before hundreds and doing their words of knowledge, I don't think many think of God. They're focusing on that prophet. And that is why I think they don't end well. When you say, thus saith the Lord, I don't know if you realize it, but you are claiming that God has sworn an oath to you. Do you know what it means for God to swear an oath to you? Do you not know this is an exceedingly rare occurrence? Elijah, how do you suppose he could come to King Ahab, and he's from out of the blue, he's got no pedigree, He's got no curriculum vitae. He had no recommendations. He just goes up to King Ahab and said, uh, not going to reign till I say so. Well, I'm sure Ahab laughed him to scorn. 
Do you think that over the next few weeks and months that every time Elijah saw a cloud, he starts biting his nails and think, oh dear, oh dear, a cloud, Ooh, what if it rains? My prophetic reputation is at stake. He wasn't the slightest bit worried. Do you know why? God had sworn an oath to him. Says so. 1 Kings 17, 1. He said, as the Lord of God Israel lives, do your homework, that's oath-level language. When anybody can say that, they've heard from God, they know what they're going to say is true. I, Ahab, was not the slightest bit worried that it was going to rain. He can just say, it's not going to rain. You see, this is the kind of prophetic utterances we want to hear, but they're rare. To be able to say, thus says the Lord, and to say, the Lord told me, implies God has sworn an oath to you, and if he has sworn an oath to you, it's going to be right. You won't make a mistake. This is why I'm suggesting, don't use his name. Leave his name out. Say what you want to say. If it turns out that it was a blessing, they'll come back to you and say, that was from God. But you didn't make that claim. That way, if you make a mistake, you haven't brought his name into discredit, nor your own prophetic gift. I will lighten the atmosphere a little bit. You know what Bruce Atkinson told me? <laughs> he says, R.T., can I tell you when I say, thus saith the Lord? He said, when I'm losing an argument. When they won't do what I tell them. When I don't get my own way. So you can always bring it, thus saith the Lord. Always works. Bruce, I hate to tell you, it won't work after tonight. I'm finished. Heavenly Father, take this word. Apply this word by your Holy Spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.